You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Every week, I sit in this booth and talk about the five things that made my life better. And the reason I do it is because life has been harder these last few years, and I've needed to buck myself up and in turn, help everybody else have a few minutes of reflection and gratitude. It's nothing earth-shaking, but it's something that's helpful and brings some positivity to our little world. This week, I have a guest, Elliot Forrest, who is an old friend who is also a big deal host at WQXR Classical Radio, among other things. And I'm looking forward to hearing his list of five things that make his life better. And of course, some of the things are big and some of the things are small. That's what we got because we're living in a high-low time when you can say democracy is a great thing and also mandarin oranges in salads. You know, all, all things are on the table. So without further ado, here's my number one, and it's cashmere. A friend asked me recently, how come cashmere never made it to my top five? And I thought that was a really good question because I'm wearing a cashmere v-neck sweater. It's a hardworking member of my uniform. And cashmere is a really great thing. And it is number one on my five things that make life better. And I wouldn't have thought of it without Liz asking Heidi, asking me why I hadn't come up with it. And, you know, when I was growing up, cashmere sweater was kind of like saying um, opera star. It was something from an older and grander time than my own. We had Shetland sweaters, we had merino sweaters, even mohair sweaters. Everything was fine. It was just not as soft, and the yarn wasn't as fine as cashmere. And I don't know what happened to cashmere. Was it on a timeout? Was it too expensive? Were we not trading with the people who make the who who raise the goats, who provide the hair on their chins for for the best cashmere? I, I don't know the answer to that. But I think it's something worth looking into for somebody who has the time. Sadly, I do have the time, actually. Maybe I should look into it for next time. But cashmere is fantastic. It is warmer. It is softer. It drapes better. And even uh, when I was looking for pictures of cashmere for the blog at lisabernbach.com, even that cashmere looked kind of refined. Number two... When it gets cold, which it is in a lot of the country right now, what is better than uh, sitting in front of a roaring fireplace? I know. Nothing is. You're thinking nothing is better than that. And I'm not talking about an electric fireplace. I'm not talking about a video of a burning fireplace log, which, honestly, a friend of mine once had. And I used to sit in front of it as if it were emanating warmth, a picture of a fireplace I sat in front of to get warm. Sad. Anyway, I'm talking about the real thing with logs and with fire and with the crackling sound of it and the warmth of it and the smell of it, because that smells great. And the meditative quality of looking into the flames. And that's by itself a whole afternoon or evening's worth of fun. 
And then if you add to that reading in front of the fire or petting your dog in front of the fire or listening to music in front of the fire, oh, it's, it's just too much, too much. It's too good. I don't have a fireplace right now, but I sat in front of one last week and I'm appreciating it. And I also have posted a picture of my old fireplace, which I found online so you could see where I used to sit. Number three. I am very ambivalent about Facebook. I threaten to leave it constantly. I think it's probably a bad organization run by bad people. That's a kind of gross generalization, but so be it. However, I have discovered a group page on Facebook called What Would Virginia Woolf Do? And I think this page is about two years old, and it was founded by a woman I don't know named Nina Lorenz Collins. And it is, I guess, a community for women 40 and over to talk about what's on their minds, be it political, social, financial, emotional. And I think maybe I, I should try to find Nina Lorenz Collins and ask her why she started it. In fact, note to self, I will do that. But right now, I have seen threads that are so high and so low that make me feel like I'm sitting with my peers. There might be one on what can I use to cover the dark circles under my eyes? I'm over 40 and I don't want to spend a fortune. One could be my husband and I have a very happy marriage, but I can't stop thinking about my old boyfriend. And then what happens is hundreds of people write to the person who's posting saying, why do you think you're dreaming about your boyfriend? Or have you been in therapy? Or don't do it or do it or you deserve to be happy or you don't deserve to be happy. Anyway, it's all very fascinating. And it's a good read. And if you are not able or eligible to join this group, there is a book now, What Would Virginia Woolf Do? and I will recommend that to you. Number four, I wrote about our lovely dog, Henry, who's quite sick and seemed to be on his last legs and paws, but we have nursed him and he is doing really well. And I also know that some of you have sent good wishes and good vibes and, and consolations and advice and, and lit a candle and all those beautiful things. He is definitely doing better. And number five is my all-time number five, that exemplary fellow in whose hands I've put a lot of faith, Robert Mueller. Thank you, sir. And now it is my distinct pleasure to welcome my friend, Elliot Forrest, to the podcast. For those of you who listen to classical music, and classical music radio, you already know and love Elliot's voice as one of the hosts and the afternoon host of WQXR Radio in New York. And you can listen to it on WQXR.com or org or something, I'm sure. But he is more than a classical music presenter. Welcome, Elliot. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I've enjoyed your podcast a great deal, and uh, this is thrilling to, to be in the room with you. Oh, well, it's my thrill, and I wanted to tell everybody and ask you a question. I've, we've known each other for a long time, but I've never asked. I know you grew up in Midland, Texas, and when you first told me you were Texan, I was 
I was thrown by that because <laughs> who can say Rimsky Korsakov? I can't even. Say, but with a Texan accent, I don't know what it sounds like. It might sound like Sam Elliott in A Star Is Born. Uh, by the way, P.S. I couldn't understand a word he said. <laughs> I haven't uh, seen it yet, but I will. Uh, did you ever sound? Like a typical Texan? Well, both my parents were born and raised in Brooklyn. So I grew up with these New York Jews in Texas. <laughs> so it, it, I was always, I've always been a bit of a fish out of water uh, in that I grew up with a lot of rednecks around me. I was the only Jewish person in my high school. Uh, but um, but I used to say get instead of get and fur instead of for. So I, I'm very, very proud of my Texas background, uh, as well as all the, the Brooklyn roots as well. Well, you you seemed I guess your through your voice and through your manner and through your your choice of uh, verbiage, you always seem like the most erudite person. <laughs> if you had a British accent, you couldn't sound smarter. Did you grow up listening to classical music and loving it, or was that just an accident of a job? Uh, it was a bit of an accident of a job, but I do uh, credit both my parents for having a great record collection, and we would listen to classical music and a lot of Broadway cast albums. And I was also in the orchestra in high school at a very early age, and Texas is known for a lot of things. Uh, but it's no surprise there that music is very important, particularly in the public school system in Texas. They're very proud of it. They have a very high level of play and football, uh, to music and football. We've heard of that, yeah. Right. And so I was both in the marching band and the orchestra. So I got acquainted to, to the music very early on, but it was a total fluke. It was one of those days where my life turned on a dime, and I didn't know it at the time, where I was in a theater company in Kansas City. And they said, oh, you have a nice voice, and you've been on the radio a bit. Why don't you go out and record this PS? say for this theater piece we were doing. So I went out to the radio station. It was a classical radio station. I recorded the PSA and I said, you guys don't need anybody, do you? And they went, yeah, we're looking for an afternoon announcer. I auditioned and got it. And my life changed in that day. My The entire rest of my life changed a different direction. Of course, I didn't realize it in that moment. Oh, I love that story. You get chills because it could have been it could have so easily gone another way. You could have been a country western DJ. <laughs> Hard to imagine, yeah. but you could have. It could have happened. It could have happened, as we say, in in the pan, your panhandle, right, Midland? Uh, in West Texas, it's sort of below the the panhandle a little bit. Uh, it's actually halfway between uh, El Paso and Dallas. Oh. Midland is actually the midpoint on the old railroad between Dallas and El Paso, and that's the reason it's it's called Midland. And I know why Houston Street isn't called Houston Street, but that's a whole other conversation. All right, I want to know that now. You don't know that? No. Oh, this is cool. Houston Street, the long, long avenue that I guess separates downtown or part of downtown New York from the rest of the island, was where people's country houses and farms were once upon a time. Wow. It's only two stops now on the subway right. from, from where they lived, but that was where their houses were. Oh, from house to house. Oh, who knew? Yeah. Right. Look at that. Yeah, you learn something every day. Every with Lisa day. <laughs> now, when you, when you first started working in classical music, I understand that it's very tough to get a job at QXR. I mean, I think it's the pinnacle of all classical stations in the world. And voices there are very, they have very specific requirements, don't they? 
Well, um, I would think so. I hope so. I mean, I've been doing this. I've been in, uh, on the radio in New York for over 30-some-odd years, which is amazing to me to actually— Your voice still sounds so say, young. Oh, thank you. <laughs> actually, if I, if I ever write a book, I'm going to call it The Voice is the Last Thing to Go. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I look, you, rem- you probably, William B. Williams was on the radio right. here in New York. And, right. I mean, their guys are on the radio, and it's it's a great job for longevity. That's all I'm saying. It can it's, really hold you in good It's stead. fantastic, right. Yeah, we have a high level of standards at uh, WQXR, both with uh, personality uh, as well as knowledge of the material. I remember when I first started in New York, I remember thinking, Leonard Bernstein's listening. Aaron Copeland is listening. You know, you can't fake that stuff. Virgil Thompson. <laughs> they were all they were all they here were all here when I first started, and so you you know you don't want to be an idiot. So you know you kind of uh, you know Peter Shickley, uh, the famous PDQ Bach guide, once said you can learn a lot from the back of record jackets, and so you know I especially early on really put myself out there to learn as much as I can, go to a lot of different concerts. And then gloriously, my job has led me to interview almost everybody in the world, to be able to sit down with, you know, Pavarotti and Domingo and Carreras and, and Renee Fleming and James Galway and Andre Watts, the, uh, you know, uh, to be able to really communicate and actually create friendships with many of these people over the years has uh, been a blessing. French, German, Italian, do you know those languages? <laughs> it was fortunate enough that I actually took Yiddish in college. <laughs> nobody, nobody, At nobody. University t- of Texas. Yeah, UT Austin. You could take uh, Yiddish in, in school, which has really helped with my Germanic languages. When it, so when it comes to German and some other languages, it's been great. I took French in high school. And uh, a little hint for those of you out there. Anybody know Forvo.com? Ever heard no. of Forvo? Brilliant idea on the planet. Write it down, F-O-R-V-O dot com. It is crowdsourced pronunciations. No. So it's not some big expert somewhere. It's like you put a word out there in, you know, a hundred different languages, and the people in that language will record themselves. And it's a database of, again, crowdsourced. And I've contributed to it as well as using it. So if you want to hear, you know, I'll get a, a Spanish pronunciation and go, well, I wonder how you pronounce that. And then you go on this website and they go, do you want to hear this pronounced by someone in Mexico? Do you want to hear this pronounced by someone in Spain or Portugal? It's different. How fantastic. Right. It's a great website. So over the years, it's been very helpful to listen globally to people pronounce certain things. And, you know, the the compositions of the classical canon uh, does change, but not as much as the performers. So when we get, you know, when I look at a name and I go, okay, there's no vowels in this name. <laughs> I don't know what this oboe, how do you, you know, and we share that among, among announcers. We'll find out, somebody will interview them here, because people will decide, you know, even on their own. You know, there's a performer, a violinist, uh, and it's all J's. So is it Janine Janssen or is it Janine Jansen? It's like, mm-hmm. well, once you meet her, she'll tell you how right. she like. Yeah, right. That reminded me of an old episode of, well, of course, an old episode of the Mary Tyler Moore Show, where Walter Cronkite was a special <laughs> guest, and Ted Baxter, the idiot newscaster, said, "Walt." What words do you have trouble with? <laughs> that was his version of talking shop with Walter. Yeah. Well, you know, and you 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 are a writer and a podcaster. You do so many things. You you want to be able to come off well and know that you're informed. And so we just try to find out as much as we can. Well, especially when you are when you are aware 
that the classical heroes of your life are listening, it does behoove you to pronounce <laughs> yes. their names properly. And even the, the audience, because I will get emails, and even with our demographic, I'll get letters, real letters, where people will go, that's not how it's pronounced. It's really, the, you know, so they're very helpful and, and very specific. A lot of They're people, not shy. Yes, a lot of people want to have their two cents. <laughs> yes. And we know that now. You're getting that, too. Yeah, of course I am. I'm getting grammatic corrections from people who are not English majors, and <laughs> I am I am uh, chastened, <laughs> totally chastened. Um, you have been working in other areas besides your voice. And uh, what I love about your career, it's kind of just dreamy that you produce and host all kinds of uh, festivals. You host interesting conversations on stage in Rockland County, New York, and you you have your hand in a lot of cool things. I I think one of the things Richard Shickley was the or Shickle was the film critic, right, right? I guess one of the things I love about. Uh, that I love knowing about you is your longtime relationship with Peter Schickley, the creator of and PDQ Bach. How did that come about? Well, he was on the radio in this Kansas City radio station. I was literally making $5 an hour at this first one that I mentioned, uh, how it's I got that job. more than I'm making. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was a guest, and we stayed in touch. And, you know, I've always been a bit of a networker, and I moved to New York. I would think I was on the radio in New York and. Uh, WNCN by the time I was 28 or 29 and he did, he has this famous bit where it's called the Beethoven Sportscast where he announces with a color commentator over Beethoven's fifth the first movement as if it were a sporting event the uh, the bases have the theme they're passing it off to the violas it's very funny <laughs> And uh, he was going to do it live at Carnegie Hall, and he called me and asked me to play the color commentator. I'd never been to Carnegie Hall. Seriously? Seriously. So my first entrance to Carnegie Hall was for a rehearsal with Peter on the the artist's entrance on 56th Street. So my first memory of Carnegie Hall was standing on stage looking at the audience, not being in the audience looking on stage. And I went on to be on many of his albums. I went on to hire him to be in shows that I produced. So it's been a long-time relationship with uh, really a, a very uh, gentle and brilliant uh, comedian, satirist, and composer. Incredible uh, career that he's had. I've been to a few Carnegie Hall shows of PDQ Bach. For those who don't know, he has created, he's a fantastic musician, he's created the persona of the loser The Bach. youngest and least talented of the Bach children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bach, Bach was uh, quite uh, prolific uh, in both senses of the word. He wrote a lot of music and had a lot of children. And so uh, uh, Peter created uh, or discovered, I'm using air quotes here, right. the writings of the youngest and least talented of the Bach children, PDQ. PDQ for pretty damn quick. Yeah, I, 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 you know what? I'd have to read the biography to actually see if that's exactly what it stands for. And I have seen uh, Maestro Shickley swing onto the stage of Carnegie Hall, not a not a a, a small person, right. not a Cirque du Soleil gnome by any means, <laughs> and and swing from from the ceiling onto the stage. 
Yes, well, he hasn't done that in a while. He's uh, slightly getting on in time. Uh, but yes, he, he, every one of his concerts, and he would do this for decades, uh, is that he was always late. And his stage manager would come out and cajole and, and shame the audience for being late themselves. And uh, eventually Peter would make a, an, an entrance of some kind. And he was known to throw a, a rope over the balcony at Carnegie Hall and shimmy down or just come running down the aisle. Yeah. Well, oh, fantastic. Okay, let us talk about your five things that helped you feel good this week, make you feel better, because, you know, that's what we do here. Well, I love this concept that you have, and I have to say that, I, pro- you know, I don't know if I'll ever get to come back again. So what idiot wouldn't want to kind of list his family, health, democracy, Robert Mueller? So <laughs> so can we just sort of put all of that aside? Yes, yes for the next visit that we'll you're do that. here. So yeah. understand that those things are important to me, but they're not actually on the list I brought today. Okay, good. All right. So uh, number one is the Instant Pot. I don't know if you're in the cult or not, or if you've not uh, discovered this, but it's uh, amazing. Do you have one? Have you used it? Do you know about it? I unpacked it after six months. We've cleaned it. I got very scared because of all the warnings of the steam and you will mutilate yourself. And tonight, I'm actually going to try to make my maiden voyage on it. It will change your life. That's what people say. Okay, so what is so great about it? Well, everything is faster. It's uh, easier. It's in one pot. Um, I've had funny experiences with it, but I just made some turkey chili with leftover turkey. So it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, cans of uh, crushed tomatoes and some beans, and I use chili powder and cumin and leftover turkey. Now I have, and I froze some of it, so it's now I've got turkey chili for the next couple of weeks. Uh, I remember doing a whole chili chicken once and um, putting in uh, both some chicken stock because every recipe will need some water and then all these different vegetables and it was done and it was really great and pull apart it was great chicken and I'm about to pour out all the excess liquid and all of a sudden the ghost of my grandmother (laughs) is like coming over me thinking (laughs) you are pouring out basically what is chicken soup right I mean my entire intent was really just to make the chicken and I go I've, I've been thinking about this all wrong. I'm not making a full chicken. I'm actually making chicken soup. So the next time I tore apart the chicken, kept all of the thing I'd been pouring out, and it was great chicken soup. Anyway, I, I've never cooked so much in my life. Wait, I have so many questions. Have you injured yourself on it? No. No. Have you come close to injuring no. yourself? No. Oh. They've rethought this. The idea of all of the, you know, your grandmother and your great-grandmother's pressure cookers as being dangerous, they've taken, they've, that's just off the table. Wow. Okay. Another question. When you say you made a whole chicken, did you have to cut it up or you just put you a can do whole either. chicken? You can do you a can whole chicken. Yeah. Depending can... on, do you have the six or eight? Do you remember? I don't any? know. It's, it's there's big. One that, there's one that's a little small and I have the sort of medium one and you know, a whole chicken will go in there. Okay. This is this is exciting because you've already given me possibly number one and number two for next week. I'll, and I'll, I and I'll I know what number report. and I know what number five is, so I only have to come up with two things next week. Forvo and the Instant Pot. How how long, just before we wrap up on Instapot, how long have you been using it and how long has it been this life changer for you? Uh maybe two years. 
Uh, my family, my nephew and my sister both had one and raved about it, and I got one. And I have, I've, I've used it regularly ever since. I mean, you know, you buy a lot of things, and sometimes they just collect dust. Um, no, I've continually used this. It's, it's, uh, it's terrific. You're going to love this. Okay, good. I want to report. Okay, you will get one. All right, number two is uh, my men's week. Um, in my, uh, I had a bachelor party when I got married over 30 years ago, <gasps> and I invi- we invited, uh, I don't know, uh, 15 of, uh, maybe t- 12 at that point of my really good male buddies to go upstate for a long weekend, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And the next year, another guy got married. We did another bachelor party. He's a friend of mine's estate. He had, um, I think, 50 acres up in uh, New Paltz, Kingston area. And then so we did some of the same guys, changed a little bit the second year. Third year, somebody else got married. We did it again. The following year, all the guys were either married or gay, and they couldn't get married at that time. So I think I had said, you know what? We should, we should call it a seminar so we can, do, we can write it off and just keep going. We have gotten together every summer for 30 years, for over 30 years. And the group has changed. We've lost guys. We've, people have died. Uh, we've actually moved locations now. We're about to go into the fourth location where we've now rented an estate, also in upstate New York, that houses 25 people. It's gone from a weekend to a week. So we spend a week, and sometimes it's, <laughs> I actually go, I hope I can do a week with you uh, to my wife, honey, but this other week's happening. I don't know if you and I are going away, but this one... This Sacrosanct. One, yeah, this one's not moving. Are there people who have been in it steadily besides you for 30 years? There's three, three of us who have never missed one for over 30 years. And you know this in your own life. You have friends who have moved away, who you never see again. Uh, and you communicate maybe a little bit. This is a group of guys, and they come in from five cities, sometimes two different countries, and we just pick right back up. And um, I'm very grateful for that. And um, this is the time of year, frankly, well, maybe mostly in January, where we actually instituted a planning weekend to plan the weekend in July. So we have a whole other weekend. It's usually an overnight now where we get together to plan the, next, the event. The, the event. So it becomes a year-long thing that we're planning, establishing where it's going to go. Um, we get together for card games. But it's really about friendship, and it's really about staying together. I've known one of the guys that comes since junior high school. Wow. This is someone I've known for for 45 years. What's incredible is that in the, in the popular... Uh, there's a popular trope that men don't know how to be friends with one another and don't nourish and cherish their friendships the way women do but and and you know in my experience most men do leave the family socializing to the wife or partner but this is fantastic that you've been able to do this people are missing out men are missing out about this and i we've talked about this in our group a little bit because the one thing you hear about ps PTSD and soldiers returning, both men and women uh, from overseas, is that they miss that camaraderie. And I, I think if there was a way to really reach out to some of these men who are struggling, and we've seen violence and we've seen ex- um, uh, suicide, to go put this together. One, pick one week next summer and find the buddies you love from high school, the buddies you loved from, from your unit. 
and and vow to get together for a weekend and just play cards and eat well and you know if appropriate drink well. Um, it's important to us, and and I think it could be important to other people. Oh, it sounds fantastic, and it's true, and and the brain does really great things, healing things with oxytocin and stuff when you bond with people who are meaningful to you. Right. Tell me though, uh, what are the activities besides cards? And is that gambling cards or just uh, we had crazy really, eights? Well, it's mostly spades and hearts, and we really hadn't really gambled and played poker until the last couple of years. I don't particularly feel good about that, to tell you the truth. I mean, we did this for 28 years without taking someone else's money during this event. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of the gambling part, although, you know, I like Vegas and that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, it sounds... Um, you know, this is a group that is not women jumping out of cakes. It's more like Robert Bly. I mean, when it comes <laughs> oh, a sweat lodge or drumming. Drum, yeah, it's more that than yeah. than you know, oh, you know, got, 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 uh, typical guy stuff. So we have a theme every year. So the theme is actually played out in the activities and to the point where we might have exhausted all the friggin' themes we can come up with. We did a Vegas week and we, weekend, and you know, we did a Robin Hood weekend and an Olympics one and and a political one. I mean, we've just so the 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 events and the, the the activities are based around the theme. Have you ever done debutante ball? <laughs> I'm writing it down. No, that hasn't come up, although I think I would look good in chiffon. I think so, too. Okay. What a cool idea, though. I have to salute you. To, uh, I mean, it's a lot of work to, to keep that up and to organize it and to feel passion for it. Do you have T-shirts and, and names and, and souvenirs every year? Uh, th- yeah, there's usually something. There's a, We have an archive. There's hats and sh- T-shirts and, you know, there's tchotchke that's been associated with it. The invitations. Swag. There's been swag. There's uh-huh. cups. And, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Was that your number three? That was my number two, believe it or oh, not. Oh, number two. Okay. Yeah, we're moving along nicely here. No, we are. Um, I, I had initially written down iPhone, and then I, I thought I'd just be more specific and just say that I am so grateful for GPS. I mean, the older I get, even in my own neighborhood, it's like I – no, I, I – I always say this. I'll even travel to another city or, again, even in my own neighborhood and go, I never know where I am and I always get there. And that's the GPS. It's like just going to set it and find the way. And I I don't – I was actually talking to some younger kids the other day (laughs) and talking to them about maps and having to like take out a map and being in the car and like unfolding it and – and uh, it, it, maps may be the worst thing that ever happened to us <laughs> older folks. I know. And and especially when you go to Los Angeles and you remember what it was like to carry that Thomas's book yeah. of maps, right. which was about 800 pages long. And you'd pull over and look for something. You couldn't even find the page it was Triptychs. on. Remember Triptychs? I on do tri- remember. Triple, tri- yeah, yeah, Triple A. Oh, triple my God. I remember know. when you first started to print out your Google map? Right, right. Because that, or MapQuest. Map right. Oh, right. We, we have been through um, a lot. So yeah. now you just kind of go ways and it tells you there's traffic there even coming here today. It's like, no, you want to get off here even though you've never gotten off here. Now you want to, it's like, I'm in. I'll, I will follow you. Do you know that you can record your own ways, directions on your phone? Record that? Uh huh. I, I mean, why would you want to? That's what I'm asking. That's like, what you do for for a living. But I once did it. <laughs> I once recorded my own ways, and I I was able. They give you enough time to record every possible. 
you know, not with street names, but turn right here and half a mile turn right. But I was able <laughs> to encourage myself by saying, no, you idiot, turn right. It was funny for a minute. Uh, oh, oh, so oh, you give yourself your own directions. Correct. Oh, oh, I, oh, I you see. You can plug in your own voice. Oh, uh, okay. I think I would rather hear you, and maybe I'll record for you. And okay, you that would for... be that would be cool. Right, but, right. But I did scare people by sending them sending them directions in my voice, which included a lot of chiding and encouraging, <laughs> and I can't believe you finally got here kind of stuff. I think that's a great idea. I didn't realize that I'm going to do that, too. But wait, so much but, here. Yeah, GPS is our friend. It is our friend, and yeah. it's here to stay. Yes. I'm going to tie four and five together a little bit because it's been an unusual year for me. We'll get to five in a moment, but uh, just generally speaking, uh, four is gratitude. Uh, I, I, I have been introduced to gratitude in a different way the last couple of years for a number of different people I've met. Uh, So we'll get to some of the specifics in a moment, but just the general concept of being a big whiny pants all the time and wondering whether things could be better and am I being taken advantage of and am I using my skills in the right places and really sort of trying to park that and really start to realize uh, that I have my health and uh, I've got a loving family and really sort of experience gratitude and thankfulness, uh, even in tough times, to, to be thankful for the things that uh, are, are horrible uh, because you're just allowed to experience them sometimes. I, I've just given more thought to that in the last year, and I thought it was worth expressing. I couldn't agree more. And I also am a fan of feeling things, even if the feelings aren't so positive, at least it gives you a place from which to go. It gives you a direction. It gives you the sense that you're not numbing yourself to the tragedies of these days as well as the the pleasures. So number five is uh, projects with meaning. I have uh, been as we've talked about a number of them today, some I do for money, some I do because they're great fun. But this last year, uh, last two years, I've been involved in this project of uh, directing uh, an oratorio called Considering Matthew Shepard about Matthew Shepard, a new musical work about this historic story for those who don't know or don't remember. And we came to find out during our production that there's a whole couple of generations at this point that Matthew Shepard's story is is historical. It's, it was if you're 20 or younger, then it just didn't happen during your lifetime. Uh, he was uh, a gay young man in in Wyoming who was uh, beaten horribly and uh, tied to a fence and beaten horribly. Left for 18 hours unattended. No one found him, and he lived through the beating. Uh, he was taken off the fence and uh, taken to the hospital. He lived five more days. So there was a bit of a vigil in, a, in America, and that's one of the reasons I think that added to the legacy and why this particular hate crime became so important in the gay movement uh, was because there was this, oh, I hope he pulls through. Ellen had just come out ah. uh, only months before the beating happened the month after the first episode of Will and Grace. Very interesting cultural shift happening in America so that America really for the first time stood up and said, no, said this is this hate crime is wrong in a really big way. It just hadn't happened before. 
Anyway, so this really brilliant, loving guy, uh, Craig Hella Johnson, wrote an oratorio, a musical work, a very American musical work. It's got blues and a hymn, and it's got a little musical theater in addition to contemporary classical choral singing. And it's beautiful. It's about an hour and a half long. Uh, I directed it for PBS. It's on TV right now. Uh, it'll air again in New York and around the country. You can look for it, considering Matthew Shepard, the entire we we made a docu performance. The what's actually on television is half of a documentary about Matthew and the making of this oratorio, and about ten songs out of the twenty that are in the piece itself. So you get a taste of the oratorio, and then you get the backstory of Matthew Shepard. And then it's been on tour. Uh, we've been in 20 different cities around the country. It's still more coming up, both in 18 and 2019 on tour. And then it's been published. So you're going to see high schools do it and choirs are going to do it as well. But I've never really met anybody like this group of people, particularly this Craig Hella Johnson, this composer. He just exudes gratitude and thankfulness in, in the toughest of times. And uh, it's been a real gift. Um, you, you did a, a podcast about crying. I've never cried so much as I have the last two years. And I can't really explain why I, I cry, I've cried so much over a crime of someone I never knew. That happened 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I can't explain it to you. I was at the cathedral uh, in Washington, D.C. just a few months ago for the interment. His, his parents feared that wherever they buried, buried him would be desecrated. Ah. So they held on to his ashes until October of 2018. And then now he's with Woodrow Wilson, Helen Keller at Washington's National Cathedral. Extremely moving ceremony there. So we went from being uh, doing this artistic work in which we were commenting and celebrating this legacy to actually being part of the story. The, the singers in my piece went to the, were to in, the interment. In, into the interment and were the main singers during the ceremony. Oh, that's extraordinary. So we so we become friends with Dennis and Judy Shepard, Matthew's parents and and were a part of uh, of what you know, this great the ceremony, this beautiful ceremony at the end of his uh, uh, the interment of his ashes. What's extraordinary is that Matthew Shepard, which is a a very uh, ordinary American sounding name young, innocent, so innocent, Matthew Shepard has is shortcut now. His name really does signal a form of violence and um, maybe martyrdom over a young life that really didn't even have a chance. He didn't even have a chance to live his life. And yet, to he was a real guy. He was a real teenager in Laramie, Wyoming. And, of course, the Laramie Project uh, is a wonderful play that... Probably we... the most produced play still in America. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's high schools and colleges and that sort of thing. I was at, uh, also this year, because this is the 20th year, the Tectonic Theater Project did uh, a celebrity reading of it. And uh, I was in the audience and attended that. And the most moving moment, and I'll cry now, uh, at the end of our piece and at the end of Laramie Project, uh, uh, but characters or actors read Dennis Shepard's, Matthew Shepard's father's uh, letter that he wrote to the court, that he read to the killers in the court 20 years ago. So we excerpted in our musical work, it's in Laramie Project, for the Tectonic Theater's anniversary, they said, please welcome to the stage Dennis Shepard. Oh, my. The standing ovation. Then you could then every then he sat down and he read. He, I spoke to him afterwards. He said I hadn't he hadn't read it out loud in twenty years. 
you could both hear a pin drop and just weeping. It's 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 beautiful. It's poetry. The think the idea that he had written this to these killers about his son twenty years ago in the height of grief and dealing with um, with the trial is really unbelievable because he's a very plain spoken, regular kind of guy, and his words are so beautifully profound. Um, just in brief, I only tell you a little piece of it. And that is, is that he he faced the killers and he said, the only solace I have is that my son wasn't alone when he was on the fence. He had his friends. You may be wondering who those friends were. He had the stars and he had the Wyoming wind. And he had another friend, one that he had come to know as an acolyte by going to church. So he painted this incredibly poetic picture that gave him and his wife some kind of solace. That he that he wasn't alone during those eighteen. Anyway, so this has been read, you know, in every time anybody does the Laramie Project, and to have Dennis read this himself. Oi, oi, vey. So you can tell why I've been crying for yes, two years. Yes. It's like uh, over a death of someone I never knew. You know that that many of us uh, only, only read about. Well, having empathy is uh, is a great gift, honestly, <laughs> and ha- I mean it. And I'm I'm grateful that you remind me that you don't have to know someone to feel that pain and also makes you grateful for what you do have. And um, we have an obligation just by being alive to care about other people, I think. I hugged my kids a little tighter every time I came back. And I will say, too, that when we started this project of considering Matthew Shepard Uh, We thought hate crimes, and historically they were on the decline. Uh, There was a sense of global cooperation. There was a sense of hope and change. And um, in the last two years, in 2017 and 18, hate crimes are on the rise. Anti-Semitic hate crimes, particularly for some bizarre reason, uh, transgender women of color have uh, dramatically increased. But hate crimes are on the rise, and that's one of the things we talk about when we do the talkbacks of either the documentary or the live performance, that that's what the heart of the Matthew Shepard story is about, is about this historic hate crime. As you may know, the hate crime bill, the federal hate crime bill, was named. For Matthew Shepard. And James Byrd, the man who was dragged behind on a truck in Texas. Oh, So it's gosh. both of them. Right. Both, uh, but it's but Dennis and um, Judy Shepard was there with uh, President Obama when the hate crime bill was signed. So the legacy of Matthew Shepard. I believe not only is this hate crime bill, but I also believe marriage equality and some of the other progresses. There, that, that he, there was a reason for his life, that it led to all these things. Yes, that's beautiful. I have to say also, Elliot, that it, it reminds us that with all the hate crimes and with all the kind of meanness and bullying going on in the world, which is part of online life, which is part of social media, which is part of what's happened in Washington. There are good people. There are wonderful people. And uh, it's all for something. There's there's some, some plan behind the bad and the good. And you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you for having me. Elliot Forrest. Oh, man. <laughs> Very excited! You've you've elevated this game today. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I, I I wish you luck in everything you do, not only your writing but this podcast and and just being a good person. You're putting a lot of good stuff out there with this. So uh, thanks for having me. Thank you so much, and to all of you, 
Stay cool and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers. <laughs>